that reminds me of someone who was that player who used to play for Southampton and he lied. He's an, he, he lied his way into Southampton. This was like Ali Dia. Dia. Yeah, Ali Dia. That is the Alex Wobi is the modern day Ali Dia. Has to be. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the BTB podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Karis, as usual. I'm joined by Kevin and Denzel, as always, and we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of football. So a lot of weeks have passed and we're trying to bring up more content as usual, but there's been a lot that's happened. Since we got two Nigerian guys with me, we'll talk about what happened at AFCON as Nigeria are now officially out. We're going to talk about transfers quite a lot because of the end of the windows coming very soon. We're going to talk about who's got the best transfer window, who had the worst one. We're going to talk about Rashford and Lingard as if you saw on social media, they encountered Wiley recently and there's been a lot of uproar about it. We have an interesting topic about if the modern footballer is too soft. And then just to end it, we'll talk about uni, uni memories slash biomed memories. So yeah, I think this is a good place to start. So Kevin, talk to me what happened at AFCOD. Oh my God. So I'm watching a game and I was thinking, we do- well, when the game started, we, would- we dominated the group stage. Only team in, I believe, in the tournament to literally have a completely like untarnished record, just like yeah, three for we three. went we went undefeated, yeah, undefeated. So I'm thinking the super eagles, the super eagles are actually like flying properly. You get me? Then I just saw one Tunisian guy just tear one shot, <laughs> one disgusting shot into the goal, <laughs> and I remember looking at it like, and I remember I was just like, I was in shock first of all, and I thought like maybe just a really good shot. Then when I remember the dickhead we got in goal, I was like, this guy is. Honestly, the epitome of uselessness. His only function is for kit sales. And all Best the on the planet. All the Ungozis of this world who were here saying, oh, he's so peng, he's so peng. Look what pengness has got us. <laughs> Look what pengness has got us, bro. All these girls, you are complicit in this defeat, bro. Instead of you to criticize him, you are here saying he's peng. Now, you go, go, go enjoy him. He's back. He's back in, in, in Sparta, Rotterdam. Go and enjoy him. We're out of the tournament. Tunisia knocked us out. They were playing Burkina Faso on them, man. So, <laughs> hey, like, personally, <laughs> the hatred in my heart, I can't say it because I'll get cancelled, innit? But all I'm saying is that, Okoye, if you love Nigeria, go and resign. And while you're doing that, please bring Enyema back. There's still some <laughs> venom in those bones. Bring them back. We used to be a country when your man go, bro. <laughs> you just have to you just have to remember like with these man yeah you have to add like 10 years to their age in it so in Yemen is probably like 60 right now <laughs> <laughs> no that's what you got <laughs> bro no I'm disappointed oh, man, retired. I forgot yeah, yeah yeah he's retired man but yeah I, I was shocked I'm not gonna lie like just when you watch the game we we're, were playing like we were three 0 up. We we're just playing with no intensity, fam. We we're so dumb. This is what Nigeria. I, that's why I didn't get my hopes up. When they're like, "Oh, we got nine points," I was like, "We're, we're going to get eliminated." Watch, and I knew it. <laughs> I just, I, I know Nigeria well. I know this country, fam. I know the FA. I know how these niggas are, fam. I knew what was going to happen. They're going to see Tunisia. They're going to be like, "Oh yeah, Tunisia will we'll win." <laughs> and then look what happened. My man clotted it from like what thirty yards out, and then Okoye. I'm, I'm not even gonna. I don't want. I don't want to speak on his name because. Bro. If I, if I say what I want to say, people will doubt if I'm Nigerian, fam. All I know is that guy, I don't want to see him on the pitch again, whether it's on the bench, 
handing out bibs, setting up training cones. I don't want to see him on the pitch. He's not a goalkeeper, fam. That guy's an Insta model. People get onto Loftus cheek and say he's peng and he doesn't play football. No, 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 no. Direct that energy to Okoye, fam. Because that guy, <laughs> that guy cannot catch Island. shit, fam. Alex Owobi, fam. Let's not forget him as well. I'll get, I'll get to him. When he Your plays international is football, Francis Uzohu as well. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. He's better than Okoye. He's better than Okoye, bro. But yeah, like it will be when he plays for Nigeria. He's not the same player. I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I don't this guy, I cannot, I cannot believe. Everton? Better than what we saw at Afcon. But he's not even good at Everton. So yeah, but I just. Uh, I I personally don't think he's related to JJ Okocha. I'm not telling. Can't be. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more like a. It was his like his dad's friend or something, and he's going around telling people it's his uncle. That's not your uncle, bro. Because look at look at him and look at Okocha. There's no DNA between them. <laughs> no, but look that, at him. That reminds me of someone who was that player who used to play for Southampton, and he lied. He's in, he, he lied his way into Southampton. This was like Ali Dia. Yeah, Ali Dia. That is the Alex Owobi is the modern day Ali Dia. Has to be. <laughs> <laughs> Has to be. Alex Owobi is not serious, bro. You really out here get a red card against Tunisia. And the chat. Oh, that did, did you like saw the challenge the ball or something? No, yeah, it, was dumb, it. it was such a dumb. It just it was just a dumb decision. It was only, something only a Nigerian would do. Basically, that's what it was. <laughs> the ball, yeah, is rolling through. And instead of this guy to like, I, I don't know what his thought process was, but this guy missed the ball by like two miles, basically. Like he's practically stomped my man's foot off. And the ref made the right decision. That is dangerous play. Like this guy wasn't even close to the wall. As in he came on for like three minutes. He didn't even sweat. God will punish Alex Wolby. I'm so sorry. Like, and also another thing, yeah. Who the hell is Sadio? Who's our striker? I I've never heard of Sadio. Who's Sadio? Yeah, I don't know who that is, bro. That's uh, Sadiq. Same thing. He's not good. He probably he probably, <laughs> he probably, he probably plays for like Ikeja Wanderers or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> he plays for Almeria in Spain. He plays for Portacot Warriors. <laughs> Almeria ain't that like Division Four? Hmm? Is ain't um the La Liga second division? But is he himself playing? That's the better question. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> nineteen matches, nineteen matches, eight goals and six assists. That's beauty. That's deep. That's be decent. But that's, that's decent. That's, <laughs> but Spanish second division, you're playing university students and butchers. Like, why is he, out, <laughs> why is he outscoring Martial and them, man? There. But anyway, that's neither here or there. But man said, quite frankly, that was a very disappointing game. What I've said to preserve my pride is that we didn't have a full strength side. Like, where's Ossiman? Realistically, mm. where is Ossiman? What Watford? Watford, yeah, Emmanuel Dennis. Watford. Man. How many times have I called you? You are holding all the man them behind, so we can't have our full strength side. And now look, we pay the price. <laughs> Any team that plays Watford, I'm rooting for them. God will punish Watford. No cap. I'm sorry. Oh no, every Africans against Watford right now. They disrespected Nigeria so badly. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask before we move forward is, um, in March, I don't know if you guys have seen, but you guys got drawn against Ghana for the World Cup qualifiers. So what do you think are going to be your chances when you play them? Nigeria will turn up. That day will turn up. Don't worry. This is not AFCON. <laughs> this, this, is, this is years of intense African history and rivalry, fam. This goes beyond football. This is that pain of the, the long withstanding beef. You all know what I'm talking about. This is the day to set in it, fam. 
the, all them the stupid, all, yeah, all them J Rice debates, all of that it ends that day, fam. All right, <laughs> the bragging really rights goes. History is written written by the winners, fam. Do you get it? the day we knock Ghana out? That that debate is done, bro. I don't want to hear it again. I don't hear nothing. On the flip side, if we lose to Ghana, I'm not gonna lie. I'm British at the end of the day. You get a passport. <laughs> yeah, I got a British passport. I've lived in London. You know what I'm saying? Ghana, Nigeria is going to be a deadly day. A very deadly day. <laughs> All I'm going to say is it's a very fine line between beating Ghana and losing Ghana. Losing to Ghana. You get me? Because mm. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know who Sad- Sadiq or Sadio is. And if he is playing and Okoye is in goal, I can already see a Jordan Ayu finesse outside the box. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, I can see it now, fam. In yeah. Ghana's last game at Afcon, they lost three two to Comoros, and they started. They had a four four two, and the strike partnership was Andre Ayew and Jordan Ayew, and Andre Ayew got a red card as well. Yeah, I feel like I feel like African teams idolize Sean Dyche because they all played like Burnley. Yeah, African teams play like Burnley. I don't get it. flat four four two root one football. That's that's African football there, bro. That's that they, they ain't no tiki taka, they ain't no build up here. This is you pull my man's shirt, you bring him down. They got 10 niggas now because my man's lying on the floor, and then you just hoof it. And you just use your pace and your power to just muscle man out of the way. And you don't even look for the pass, you just clart it from the edge of the box. Even though you know the angle don't make sense, you just say fuck it, let me shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is Afcon in a nutshell, fam. Like, did you see that? I think it was the last Afcon. There was a goal Malawi scored. Was it this one? Oh no, this one. It was some long yeah. ago. I saw that, bro. Did you like who does that? Only in Afcon. <laughs> these guys, they they don't have a pass first mentality. They just get the ball and they're like, yeah, fuck, I'm shooting. I'm sorry, that was at least forty yards out. At bro, least he was literally near the kickoff. Like he was near the semicircle. This guy just looked up and was like, yeah, I'm shooting. Like, why, why did they do that? Why are African players like this? There's no build-up play. It's just, I'm receiving it and I'm shooting. Oh, and the rest, God. I'm leaving it up to God. It's because these coaches don't know what they're doing, bro. These coaches, they haven't got a playbook. Their playbook is just, make sure you score these goals and not concede. That's, that's all it is. <laughs> do you know another <laughs> thing in AFCON that pisses me off here? All these African countries, they always hire these washed-up European managers and I don't get it. Honestly. Like, why don't they hire African managers? Like, African managers will know African ball better than Van der Hurst from Holland or whatever. <laughs> like, some random youth. I don't understand. They just think because he's white, he must know ball. It's because he's drip. It's drip. So when we had, um, you know, um, Nigeria had Ruhr. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, gas at the start. The last oh. great Nigerian coach we had was Keshi. Obviously, RIP, you get me? Because yeah, that, man. I remember... When we played Argentina, yeah, and we drew with them, man, I was thinking, this is the Nigerian golden generation. Yeah. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking Ballon d'Ors ain't got nothing to do with, uh, with us over here. Yeah, man. We, were, we were cooking on them. We were cooking, man. But yeah, don't worry. One day, Hansi Flip will manage Nigeria. <laughs> don't worry, man. When, when, he, when, he, I lie, when, when they're all retired and they, they just need that little project to do on the side, they'll come to Nigeria, man. Imagine, Ima- Ima- imagine, imagine the Super Eagles under Pep. Oli's available. Nah, 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 nah. Oli won't even get hired by Comoros. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> he ain't got the credentials yeah. for that. <laughs> he ain't got the credentials, mad. So moving away from African football now towards European football, um, 
the transfer window is still ongoing. There's loads of transfers happening between clubs. And one notable one, which the guy that being get on to me for, is Dusan Flahovic. These men are already laughing. It's long, but um, I'll offer my thoughts before they can offer their thoughts. Just I need to vent a little bit because I'm still very angry and just burning. So, obviously, at the start of the January transfer window, David Ornstein put out a tweet saying, if Vlahovic is to move, Arsenal's in front of the queue to sign him. And as an Arsenal fan, you know, I've learned over the years, don't get your hopes up too much in it. But this one, I started getting my hopes up. I'm like, yes, we're getting that clinical striker who needs to replace Aubameyang. Because this guy, if you've seen his goal-scoring records, I think um, he broke Ronaldo's record at Juventus for most goals in a Serie A calendar year with 33 goals, if I remember correctly. Um, and yeah, he's shown himself to be one of the best young strikers in Europe at this current moment. But... Yeah, I thought we had a chance, to be honest, but his agent was airing our calls and all this. When Juventus come rolling through, look what happens. He moves to them. So this guy, yeah, I'll be rooting against his every move in Syria. Hope he fails. Like, I'm sorry, call me salty, but I don't even care. But let's move on to Kevin now so he can offer his thoughts on this whole fiasco. Be genuine with me, bro. You actually genuinely thought that Dusan Vlahovic would come to Arsenal. Is the, the hope that kills you, bro? To be fair, to keep it to keep it very honest, I said that this guy is never coming to Arsenal. However, I did say that if you were able to do to do the miraculous, he would be the you'd be one step forward to pushing Arsenal back into that title contention. He's the first step, um, the first um chess piece basically. However, yeah. it has been long established that the Syria and Bundesliga have a very, very established power vacuum. So I was like, ain't no way that if, if someone like Juventus comes in, this guy's not just going to jump ship because loyalty doesn't exist over there. A team, if 11, 11 players full of Judas's is every single player in Italy. There is no loyalty in that place. And another thing I was also going to say is the modern footballer isn't there for building with a team. The modern footballer kind of wants to go into a set situation and go straight to the limelight you don't really get that footballer nowadays that's willing to go to a team help them get to where they need to go most footballers now just want to be the final piece score your goals win your trophies year in year out year in year out then go to the next world oiled machine year in year out year in then retire have all your accolades in front of you so i was like this brother ain't going to arsenal he's he's not let's be honest however if i was a footballer personally I would have gone to Arsenal. Only reason being, it's a young team, there are tons of potential. Italian football is not, it's not really my cup of tea. Um, so, hey, he's made his choice, isn't it? But like, bro, you are, you are a mumu to believe that Blahovic is going to be putting, donning the red and white of, of, um, of North London. You get me? Like, but it, this is a humbling experience and it will help you with your progression into manhood. Lower man, that's a man who respects you. Know, do you know what was killing me? Yeah, these lot were over analyzing everything, man. They were looking at, ah, oh, yeah, they're doing comps for him. They're looking at his stats, saying, yeah, he'll slot in. That perfectly. was not me, still. <laughs> it weren't, it weren't Karras, yeah, but I saw a couple of Arsenal fans all talking about, yeah, like he's gonna fit into the team perfectly, can do this, like, yeah, all of that. And then the way they, he was waving, then, yeah, all that rubbish. Then you had man like Eduardo Hagen talking about, oh, yeah, the deal's done, whatever. This guy's definitely coming. And these lot smoked him on Twitter, fam. 
these lot flogged him because it didn't come true. And I was loving it. I was laughing because you guys got so carried away. I was thinking, so you're trusting some random journalist or whatever. And I was thinking, anyway, I'm not going to lie. When's the last time Arsenal actually had like a big name signing? Nicholas Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in January, like it's very rare to make the big name signings. I think. Yeah, I just thought you guys. Last... I, just, I knew he was never coming. I'm not gonna lie. I knew you were not getting Vlahovic. So there's there's no way you are getting him, and you didn't get him. And then you I, I lost. And then you lost Bruno Guimaraes to Newcastle as well. Huh? No, wait. I got something to say on that later, but I'll speak on that. But in terms of Vlahovic, um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he'll do well at Juventus anyway, but it's one of them things where, as Kevin said, there's a power vacuum, so they'll always just stay in the league, they're more comfortable in, and, you know, fair enough, that's what they want to do, and just, yeah, wish him the best, and let's see what he can do. But in terms of Bruno Gomes, I don't think we were really that interested in him. Like, I, from what I saw from Romano, it was more of a case of that we wanted to get him in the summer, basically, rather than go for him right now. But then the thing for me is that if you see Newcastle are making all these bids, surely you should see this is a very good player, like one of the best progressive passes in, in League 1. For me, it would wake me up. I'd be like, no, I have to make a bid to counteract their bid. But we decided to let them, you know, let them get him just without any competition. So I just feel like that's just, maybe it wasn't their first, their first choice, but I'm disappointed, to be honest. What I would say is, I like the fact you brought the fact the, the, and brought up the fact that um um looking at his stats and how Arsenal made a counterpoint point, but I actually feel like United is actually more to be ashamed of the situation because looking at the personnel we have in that position, we are more in need of a player of that quality and that position specifically than um Arsenal. And in addition, I saw something recently that apparently we're looking at Ander Herrera. Do we have no shame? We wait. Are you guy, sure? Are you sure it's from a good source? I doubt that is. No, no, no. no. It's, just, it's just rumblings. It's just rumblings. However, oh, it's not outside the realm of possibility that United are a very shameless club. And you know how they'll paint it? They'll get like a parade bus with Hander Herrera's face on the side and be like, oh, he's back, <laughs> he's back. But in reality, we sent this guy off away like we didn't need him. And looking at what we have in front of us, i.e. Fred McTominay, it's just like Bruno Gomez is now going to Newcastle and he's going to be their first chess piece on the board to becoming a very prominent club slowly but surely not this year maybe not next year but the year after they're going to start making the right moves so United keep sleeping in it because you were going to be embarrassed and we're going to turn it to AC Milan where we are going to turn it to AC Milan maybe even worse Newcastle spending money like Monopoly when you got all them hotels fam these <laughs> men are just buying everybody fam and I love it I want I want I want to see the Premier League become more competitive I don't care that our yeah. people are crying saying oh yeah this and that and that Listen, none of, none of these club owners are perfect. Like, fair, fair enough. There's the there's the whole oh yeah because there is like a Qatari owner or something like that human rights violation or whatever. But if we want to go into that, I I promise you, a lot of these club owners like a lot of their money comes from dodgy sources or whatever. So like, there's no perfect club owner. People are more so upset that Newcastle might do a Chelsea and in five to ten years become a powerhouse. And they just weren't to be like a. They want the Premier League to be like an old boys club. They weren't to be like the top six today stays as the top six today. They don't want new. Why they wanted the Super League too as well? Yeah, like they feel threatened that Newcastle has money to spend. And do you know what's killing me as well? That's kind of funny. Is that 
Newcastle, like even the Bruno signing, that's kind of a big signing for Newcastle. Like you wouldn't really expect them to be able to draw a player like that. You'd think, oh no, he wouldn't go to Newcastle for X, Y, and Z. But no, like they're actually getting a decent team together. What yeah. kind of scary is other than just money alone, it also just showed good scouting as well. Newcastle got better scouts than us. Better scouts than United. Let's not even talk about United. Chelsea doesn't have a scout. Scott McLachlan, he's a I don't know what he is, but he's not a scout. An interesting point, which I think this will lead into, we'll go back on the power vacuum point later because there's a few names that I wanted to list. But in terms of Newcastle transfer window, the transfers they made so far, if I haven't missed any, they signed Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid, Bruno Gomez from Lyon, and Chris Wood from Burnley. So would you guys say that they've had the best transfer window? Villa. I say Villa. Who did Villa get again? Felipe Coutinho, because apparently I said Coutinho wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. I rectified it. Felipe Coutinho, Lucas Digne, and um, Callum, Callum Chambers is, is yeah, he's dead. But Lucas Digne and Felipe Coutinho. I well. respect Chambers, man. That's my guy. <laughs> Bring him back I then. Sometimes that mid, that mid be hitting. I'm telling you. <laughs> Callum Chambers, the most he can become is, um, what's that guy? Cahill. That's the most Callum Chambers can become. Cahill. Risp- that's what? Our Cahill. Gary, Gary Cahill, Cahill was a baller. Are you they tell end you of dumb? Gary Cahill. They tell end of Gary Cahill. No, I respect Cahill, bro. <laughs> <laughs> English legend. Are you dumb? <laughs> that's what scares me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely between Newcastle and Villa. But do you know what I love about Newcastle? Yeah. yeah. They were like, cool, we've got money. They didn't do what... Do you remember, yeah? I think it was um, it was under Conte we had. We spent like two hundred and twenty million on. Let me let me break it down. Yeah, that that day I wanted to. I just wanted to curl up on a ball, and sleep sleep for a long time. This was I think twenty seventeen when Conte came. I think we spent like two hundred twenty million on. I'm going to tell you the names: Marcos Alonso, Bakayoko, Drinkwater, Batshuayi, and I think Giroud. And the only nigga that banged from that list. Was Giroud. So we we literally pissed in the drain 200 million. Drinkwater is now playing for our development squad or under 23s. Marcos Alonso is fighting the ball on the pitch and getting yellow cards. Batshuayi is now gone to, I think, Besiktas or something. Bakayoko, I think he's dying in AC Milan somewhere else. The last time I checked, I can't remember. But the thing is, Newcastle have identified their areas and be like, cool, we need a new midfielder. We need a striker that can get us out of this relegation battle. And we need... Who else did they sign again? Who have I missed? Got Chris Wood, uh, Guimarães, and... Trippier. Trippier. Trippier, yeah. So a new... Is it, he plays right back, innit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they've identified their areas and signed key talents. Like, Trippier, you can get another good couple of years out of him. Like, he's an international player. He's good. So that's why I'm praising them on that. Yeah, and I, I was talking to Kevin off-air I was saying that, really enough, Chris Wood is quite underrated. I know it's weird for me to say that, but if you look at his Premier League stats since he's been playing for Burnley, he's never dropped a season below 10 Premier League goals. 17-18, he got 10 goals and one assist. 18-19, he got 10 goals and two assists. 19-20, 14 goals and one assist. 20-21, 12 goals and three assists. And then in this current season, he has had three goals to Burnley before he departed for Newcastle so for me he's not their end goal as a striker obviously we know that Newcastle want more but he's a solid option 
in case, you know, Wilson's not bagging. So, you know, you've got somebody that's there and he's a threat in the air and can, can do it all. And then Bruno Gomez, which I see why Kevin today missed out, is most clubs in the Premier League need like a progressive monster, like somebody that can, you know, distribute the ball so well. Um, and if you see any like graphs or stats, Gomez is like top of the vault, even in Europe, to be honest. Like he's a proper passing monster. Like I'm not saying loads of assists, but, you know, he'll set the tempo and will get Newcastle flowing. And I think that will make a key difference for them to not be in the relegation battle, basically. So Newcastle have made some fantastic signings. And then even Villa too, Luca Dina wasn't really used well by Benitez. And obviously they argued a little bit. Um, but now he's gone to a side where Gerard really loves to use his fullbacks. So you can see Dino is already making a difference, even against his former club. Um, Coutinho as well. Gerard knows him well as a player. And I'm pretty sure as a manager, he's going to continue to get the best out of him. Him and Ramsey should do well together too. So, yeah, a lot of good signs have been made. Straight swap um, Lukaku for Chris Wood. I'm happy with that's that. Like, <laughs> nah, 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 that's emotional speaking. Straight swap, bro. Get him out of here. I don't want him. Like, one point I'd like to make about Chris Wood, yeah. Those stats are fantastic when you take into account Burnley tax. Because in that Burnley midfield, if you can score 10 goals, if you go to a good midfield, you're at least a 20-goal-per-season striker. So that guy, he may be signed. But um, the second point I also want to make is I don't want us to fall victim to quantity over quality because quality in the sense of the team, in it. So Liverpool are, make, are basically on the verge of making a signing on, um, which is Luis um, Diaz, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you give, if you take into account context, right, Liverpool's obviously a very, very good team. And they're obviously identified as a point of weakness and they're strengthening it. Even if it's just one player they sign, could that in the long run make more sense for Liverpool than, for example, Chris Wood is not, probably not going to be a Newcastle striker in the next three years. Could that mean that potentially a Liverpool could have the, a, the better transfer window? Also, Man City getting this Julian Alvarez guy. So like me and Karras off, off air was like, I said, I'm not losing no sleep if we don't get Julian Alvarez. And this was before Man City went in for him. However, now that Man United have stepped up and Man City are now going for him, I'm now worried because I know that when Man City goes for a player, they know he's quality. So now I want Woodward to make a cheeky bid because I'm worried. Bro. It's done. It's done. Aguero region, bro. Aguero region. It's finished. He's done. It's done. Yeah. So he's going so, to. He's going to City, bro. So he's, as in, he's actually. I swear, he's been signed and they've loaned him back to River Plate. Yeah. He was a commentator that shattered Aguero on, on all those Sky Sports. Um, and was it Martin? Was it Martin Tyler? Yeah. If I hear Alvarez, I'm offering myself. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. it. Deja vu. It's too much. It's too much. That's just too much. We kind of lost the point earlier, but in terms of the power vacuum, before we came to this podcast, I listed a number of players who moved between similar clubs. So, for example, in the Bundesliga, we had Gnabry who moved, I think he went to Hoffenheim and Werder Bremen to um, Bayern Munich. Personally, I feel like he was tapped up anyway. Wait, was he not he from Arsenal, Arsenal first? I swear. Yeah, came from Arsenal. When he left Arsenal, he went to the Bundesliga. I think it was Werder Bremen, then Hoffenheim, then Bayern, if I got it correct, in that order. Yeah. Yeah. Then there was Lewandowski. We all know he went from Dortmund to Bayern. Goethe did the same thing. Um, Sabitzer, club captain of Leipzig, moving from his club to Bayern. I know he was a Bayern fan as a kid, but it's still a bit like, I don't know, it. And then Hummels, we know about that as well, because he has a history of Bayern. And then in Syria, we have Vlahovic, Chiesa, Bernadeschi, who all moved from Fiorentina to Juventus. Locatelli, with his move, again, Arsenal fans got gassed, me too, and 
you know what happens next. Mm-hmm. So I don't get why these players can move between clubs so easily that can be competing with each other. Do you know what it is? Syria is very... It's like what I said last on the last episode, yeah. The competition is different over there. It's easier for clubs to do that because there's not that much competition. Whereas in the Premier League, it's very rare to see, like, for example, let's say as much as Arsenal doesn't even rate Pepe anymore, Arsenal's not going to give Pepe to Man City. It's not going to happen. Like, we have this mentality of we'd rather sell him, but let's not strengthen a rival. Whereas in Serie A and those leagues, who are their rivals, bro? They're just going around flogging everybody and picking out whatever players they want because they're like, okay, yeah, you've got good young talent. I'll take him because they've got the money to do it. Like, you can't say no forever until like, eventually they'll throw 80 million euros at your head and you'll be like, cool, we're a small club. We need the money. We'll take it. And now you've got a squad of superstars and young players and they've got nothing. One thing I was going to say, one thing I'm confused about is in the Bundesliga, they have a rule of 50 plus one. So um, a lot of teams are majority owned by the fans. It's to prevent fans from becoming customers instead of spectators, which is, mm-hmm. it It sounds nice in theory, but the problem is um, a lot of teams like Hanover 96's um, president has complained that he wants the rule gone because teams like RB Leipzig, who have had like a massive come up in recent years, they can reject your membership without giving a reason and a lot of the members are Red Bull staff so you can see what's happening there obviously RB Leipzig is a Red Bull owned team and if a lot of the members are Red Bull staff then it's essentially the club's being influenced by the external investors which is circumventing what the rule was meant to prevent anyway so I guess it it sounds nice in theory but it doesn't always work out practically I don't think I don't even think it'd work in England. I think there'd be something, a way to circumvent it again anyway. I don't see what fan in the right mind would rightfully agree for Sabitzer to go to Bayern Munich or even for them to allow... Well, the thing with Hummels was, Hummels was originally from Bayern, then went to Dortmund, then went back to Bayern. So I may, maybe I can understand that one a little bit more, but then again, it's just weird dynamics. Like, you, I think a footballer's mindset should be to defeat the best. but it kind of links perfectly with one of the other topics, which is the model footballer being too soft because the model footballer has is more than happy to join a rival club. Like Harry Kane in a million years should never want to join um, Man City. In addition, Alan Shearer wasn't like, oh, United, hey, yo, yo, please get me. I'm tired of Newcastle. Like, I don't see why these players are doing this willingly. But I also think is that social media is a massive, probably massive factor for this. So... It doesn't, integrity doesn't really matter in football anymore. What matters is when you retire, how many trophies did you win? And I think that Harry Kane is starting to feel that pressure more and more. And don't be surprised if a power vacuum is one day introduced into the Premier League, especially because money is going to become more and more of a powerful resource in the modern game, especially with the modern footballer also wanting to win trophies at a crazy level due to the standards that like Ronaldo and Messi are set even average footballers would want to be winning a crazy amount of trophies, that alongside the money, a power vacuum will come to the Premier League one day. Yeah, it has to be. Newcastle will be the first step in that. But yeah, Kevin made an interesting topic um, suggestion before we started this pod about is the modern footballer too soft? And the reason why he said that was mostly in relation to his, his club United. Because as you guys have seen, Anthony Martial has made his loan move to Sevilla for the next six months. 
And yeah, I think I'll let Kevin just take it away and say what he thinks about the move, whether he thinks that he's jumped the gun too early or not. My disclaimer for Marshall is I understand why Marshall wanted to leave because he, the English media is the worst when you're not British. You know what I mean? Obviously, there's like other factors that also could be in play, but I'll leave. I'll not almost say that's like a hero there. But I feel like one analysis I'd like to make is maybe someone along the likes of maybe uh, Lingard or Martial in, in certain situations, or a player who maybe some one thing hasn't gone their way. They start the rumblings of them wanting to exit the club now come to play. So, while all I wanted to say is back in the day, I firmly believe that players were more willing to fight for their position more than ever. But I feel like now, because you can get the 80K per week salary, maybe from like a Palace nowadays or a Leicester nowadays, there's not that much pressure to want to stay and fight for the United when you know you can get the lump sum amount of money from another team. Because you either get two types of players nowadays, the one which wants to win all the trophies or the one who wants to make a shit ton of money. Obviously, ideal situation, the situation where you can get both. But Martial leaving to Sevilla, the reason why the topic came to mind is because Rangnick just came. I do understand that a lot of broken promises have been given to Martial, but Rangnick just came. He didn't even give him a chance at all to really see if he was in part of like his plans. And he just upped and left. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. And even like Maguire, for example, the captain of Manchester United, I think is one of the softest footballers in the modern game. Because... Him and his family not being able to take criticism. His sister saying, shh, after um, Montenegro. I'm going to keep saying this. This is like the third episode I've mentioned this. I firmly believe that Harry Maguire is the softest player in modern football. I have said it. It's, our, it's an atmosphere. You hate Maguire because you mentioned him like every podcast. That is so funny. Because he's my captain. Well, he's not my captain. He's, United, he's captain of United for what reason? Gee, but my question is, hasn't football always been that way though in terms of having that? dichotomy of players where you have the ones that just want to win it all and the ones that want money hasn't football always been like that though I think it's more of like so for example I don't think no matter no matter how bad things got let's say back in the day Newcastle was like in a derby situation I feel like Alan Shearer would have gone down the ship oh 100% like, yeah you know what I mean so like that's what, that's what I mean by the footballer's toughness like your badge was like your identity it was who you were and I, I like a Burnley fan but what I mean is, like, the, <laughs> like, like the model footballer has no sort of fight or like. I think the the last breed of those type of footballers is Ramos. Ramos mm. didn't want to leave Real Madrid. You get me, and neither did Messi. Like, to be honest, those type of footballers they do everything for the badge, obviously off and on the pitch. And what I mean off the pitch is, you won't disrespect Messi anyway. But someone like, just I don't have to explain it. It's like a footballer should want to fight for their position as long as it's fair. So what's happened to Van der Beek? I agree with Van der Beek wanting to leave because after two years, you've not even played up to 90 minutes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, but however, Martial, you didn't give this new guy, Rangnick, a chance. And he just said, no, 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 I want to leave. I want to leave. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a bit touchy. I would say in terms of Martial, um, I think the miscommunication that they had over... Him not being in the squad didn't help, obviously, but I heard that they've hashed it out now anyway. But I don't think it's Ranić who has particularly pushed Martial out of the club, if anything. For me, I actually think it's your fans at West Ham that was the last straw. Because I remember I was watching the game with Kevin. Martial came on against West Ham, and for me, he was the guy that made a difference, and he's the one that should have got all the headlines. Because the moment he came on, the intensity went higher. 
He was taking on people, dragging people out of position. Ronaldo was dragging people out of the left channel as well. And you saw how the goal occurred. Martial was involved in that. So he had a very big involvement in that game. And then what's the reaction? United fans are booing him, even as he comes off the pitch. Like, what has Martial really done to deserve all that booing? So for me, I feel like that played a part in him going on this loan. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, he got sold a project by Monchi and Lopetegui. I don't know how to pronounce the Spanish name of that properly, so forgive me. But um, he got sold a project where he was going to play regularly and he could show what he could do, which is what he said, basically. So I feel like Martial has fought for so many years that like he'd been under Mourinho, under Van Gaal, all these men. And I feel like he just felt that now was the time to do something new. But I do agree that footballers can be soft sometimes. Yeah, I, I just realised Lukaku was a player I was looking for. Lukaku don't, don't, let's not go into that. Let's not go into that because I'll get mad. I'll get mad. <laughs> I'll actually get mad, bro. <laughs> Lukaku the, the is, is Lukaku is softer than freshly baked Hover's bread. This guy, yeah, he is. Uh, I don't even think soft is the word at this point. He's just got such a weak mentality, fam. Hmm. He's so weak mentally. Like, as soon as shit hits the fan, this guy's just throwing his toys out of the pram. So, I want to leave. I miss Italy. My heart is into Milan. Yeah, this and that. I'm not happy in England. Uh, the fish and chips don't taste the same when I was at United. Like, bro, play your fucking sport. Like, do your job. But they're crying about all these random stuff. Like, just do what you were asked to do. I think this leads on nicely to another issue where I feel like people might be being a bit, um, how can I say it? A bit, let's say the opposite of soft, a bit too hard on these guys. So you guys must have seen the social media. There was a picture of Rashford and Lingard posing with Wiley. And obviously, Rashford was getting a lot of criticism about, about it. So I was just wondering what you guys thought on the situation. It's because they're black. That's what it is. I'll be real. Because let's be honest. Boris Johnson went to university with Ghislaine Maxwell, who's on trial right now for sexual child trafficking and other sexual related offences. I've never heard anybody ask to apologise for, one, being pictured with her and two, even being her friend. And Prince Andrew being pictured with Prince Ghislaine Andrew Maxwell. was print, was pictured of her. No one's asked Prince Andrew to apologize for being pictured of her. Like people, mm. all these celebrities have been pictured with Ghislaine Maxwell and Prince Andrew. Like I have not heard anyone demanding an apology. But as soon as Rashford and Lingard are pictured with Wiley, all of a sudden they need to be like apologizing. Like what Wiley said has nothing to do with Rashford and Lingard. And as well, it goes into a wider issue of there seems to be this oppression Olympics in the media where it's always trying to pit who's gone through the, a worse kind of um, discrimination. There was this um, article that was written, I can't remember who it was, but he said something along the lines of, oh, if Rashford thinks he knows what racism is, he needs to have another look, a hard look at himself again because anti-Jewish racism or something like that is still like a thing today first of all jewish people are not a race i'm pretty like that you're not it's not really a race like when we talk about race talking about black and white you can say anti-semitism but to say that rashford doesn't know what racism is because of that is is a very wild statement like he's a black football player in a what i'd say is probably in some sense a white dominated sport 
whether it's mm. from the top level, the money flowing and whatever, he I'm pretty sure he knows what racism is. So it's very, very ignorant to make a comment like that. And it goes back to that whole thing of, I'll say it because I don't care what people think, but for whatever reason in this country, anti-Semitism is always put above racism towards Black people. When they try to make it like a hierarchical system and they put it as anti-Semitism is where you draw the absolute line and racism towards Black people or at any level is that, eh, we can shrug that off. So it's very odd for me as well because, I mean, there's even Black Jews in the world but it always seems to be no that anti-Semitism is a thing that is only affecting white Jewish people or whatever. So, yeah, I just find it very odd. I don't think he needs to apologise for being pictured widely. Also, where's the fine line between... Um... <sighs> it's tricky. When Rashford speaks about politics, they say, focus on your football. Mm. However, they are unable to now draw the line between his now career and his actual life Rashford is allowed to live his life so why are they now trying to now say wow are you doing this why are you doing that but you you now you've we're trying to separate Rashford the career and Rashford the 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 politician is what they like to call him he's just living his life and ironically this morning I actually saw a picture of um what's his name Ben White and Ramsdale in Dubai so now let's say they took this picture of Wiley. I 100% guarantee there will not be there will, there won't be no backlash. It probably won't even get like a, a media headline. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I quite frankly think that what Denzel's saying is completely correct. And for people to try and say that Rashford, black, even us who are not in in the in the in the like in the limelight, have experienced racism in some sort of category. So Rashford for damn sure knows racism because he lives in Manchester. I'm pretty sure he's a Manchester native. Yeah, so I feel like at the same time, while we do at times criticize football for being a little bit too soft, there's also times where I understand why they are because of the criticism from the media is incessant at times. Like, whatever they do, whatever step they make, they have to say something. Like, I even saw in Rashford, I think Rashford's brother controls his social media, if I'm not wrong. And he was like, proper like writing and apologizing, saying, Oh, I don't stand for anti Semitism. Of course, we know you don't. Like, it's not. Posing in the pitch doesn't mean that you agree with their actions. It's kind of a silly equivalence to make, honestly. But it's just how the media really works, and that's just how they've been wired, I guess. So any more comments before we move on to the last topic? Just, it's just the way it is. Like, um, I personally feel like the English media need to be taken to account. Well, just, not, not, even, not even just sports, even politics. Like, yeah, it's just the same old story of as well black players being held to a higher standard than everybody else. Like, yeah. It's just the same old nonsense of oh yeah, you finally put a foot wrong. Now we're gonna hang you for it. Like, mm-hmm. It's all just so it's all so stupid in my opinion. That like, it, it makes zero sense. Like Kevin said, there's times where he speaks out about you know feeding poor children or whatever, and they say oh yeah, focus on your football. You're not a politician. Now he's focusing on his football and he's just seen Wiley the musician and now they want him to be politically aware that, oh yeah, Wiley's apparently anti-Semitic. Why are you in a picture with him? Yeah, so on to a lighter topic to end the podcast. So as you guys know, the, the podcast is called Biomedics Talkable and that's because of we all did biomedical sciences together at uni for three years. So I thought a good way to end would just be something that's not football related. We'll just talk about any uni memories we had, whether it was from assignments we did or whether it's from, you know, 
going to the club or going to some other society or whatever, just talk about, to me about uni memories and what you guys can recall from our three years when you were at uni. So, Denzel, you can start. Um, That was probably one of the best three years I had. I'm not going to lie. Was, every year was something funny, man. But one thing that stood out for me was, I think it was either first year or second year. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Dr. Makarov. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This guy, yeah. Uh, okay, so let me let me explain this guy to the listeners, yeah. You've got this short, bold Russian guy with a thick accent, like a thick accent, like you can't even understand what he's saying in the instructions. And that day, I think we we're doing like PCR or something. And me, Kevin, and Karis, we were just standing in the lab and thinking, what the fuck is going on? Because this guy is speaking. I don't even want to imitate the Russian accent because like, I don't want to offend anybody in it, but we can't understand what this guy is saying. Like, his accent is mad thick and he's, everyone's just nodding. Like, the lab's mad quiet and everyone's just nodding. And I was just slapping chemicals and anything, man. Like, you get the, <laughs> you get, you get the gel agarose tray and I'm just loading hella things in there. I know that DNA doesn't go in that slide, but I'm putting it in there anyway. And then in the end, yeah, we get our results. And I, I, knew, I knew I failed that experiment. And our result came back and I got a D, fam. The image wasn't even clear when you do the X-ray after the, the thing, fam. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that was killing me the most, yeah, was like, every once in a while, yeah, you just hear... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the guy would just make like... You know that noise, yeah, when internet's trying to connect? Like, I don't know what's cool. <laughs> the guy just goes, you go, eh, eh, eh. that's the noise you get. Like, I'm just thinking, like, what went for my man? And I'm looking at Karis. Denzel was dying of laughter, yeah. Karis is always, Karis is obviously very diplomatic. So Karis was keeping a straight face here, but his lips were like quivering. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, I'm going to be the only brother, yeah, to get expelled in uni. Right oh my day that practical like we don't know whether we're putting the dna primers here or there like nobody's is one that practical no 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 one no one did well fam, because this just... and then and then he had the he had the audacity to be even offering what's it called i swear he was one of doing the forensic science module as well fam. i said there's no yeah i'm not i'm not doing that fam. so i don't know what you're saying bro <laughs> yeah because kevin what do you remember because obviously we also live together in the house for second year mm. so if there's anything you remember from there or even some uni or whatever i think one thing i remember from uni was the fact that um a lot of professors are not very good teachers to say the least like a lot of them can't speak english but they have the most to say when it comes to um like giving you feedback for your assignment so i'm sure we're all familiar with um a dr conchetta yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when she wants to say, let's say the gene turned off, she say turn it, turn it, it turned it off. And I remember one of my assignments, she's like, oh, the English is not, it's not very good here. I was thinking, do you know how to speak English? <laughs> I always used to send, I always send a very strong email like, do you know how to speak English? We do talk about my English. So I remember like a lot of the feedback that I got was very hypocritical, and also. I remember that a lot of the feedback that we would receive wouldn't match up with the grade you got. So you'd get like feedback back here yeah, and you'd be like, fantastic, beautiful masterpiece. I'm thinking, yes, the 80, the 80 is in the bag. I'll go and see, <laughs> I'm going to see 62. I'm thinking, bro, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> you, know I mean? so, man. you open and you, and you barely scrape the 2-1 for the thing. They gave you 59%. You're thinking, why? So why are you guys not the thing? 
<laughs> like what what do you what do you want me to do? Do you want me to like discover like Newton's 15th law or something? Like, how are you giving me 59%? But then you're here saying like, yeah, this is stellar work, you know, absolutely amazing. And even on the accent thing, we had another who was it that module we had in epidemiology? Do you remember the Indian lecturer? Yeah, I remember him. I can't remember his oh name. Oh my days, bro. This guy's accent. First of all, he was at 75. So I don't know. I don't want to be ageist. I don't want to be ageist, but like, come on, bro. Like, you should be, you should be like in management or something. Like, there's no way you're still doing this lecture thing. And then his accent was just so mad. Like everyone was just sitting in the auditorium, looking at each other. Like, bro, is it, wait, is it the guy that said? I think what the problem with him was that he said he's from Oxford. Yeah. Then when we researched his name, yeah, it was some like B Tech Oxford, like Oxford. <laughs> you know that man that say Manchester, Oxford, but they got Oxford Manchester Trent. Yeah, Oxford Brooks. <laughs> Oxford Brooks. <laughs> They saw the dreams, bro. <laughs> well, yeah, myself, if I can say what I remember, there's a few things. Uh, firstly, by the way, cl- uh, clubbing in uni is so overrated. Like, really, it's not a deep, you're there to get your degree, to be honest. Like, hate me for it if you want, but sticky floor, hella loud music, your ears hurting after you leave the club, bare people fighting, it is not worth it. Just focus on your studies, get your 2 1 or first and come out because we've all got jobs now, we're all doing well for ourselves. Um, what else do I remember? The thing I love about uni is that you're so free to have your own schedule. Like now it's like, oh, I have to wash the dishes, do this, do that. In uni, I'll be doing bike rides at 1 a.m. Oh my days. <laughs> yeah, that freedom um, of you... your scheduling was arguably the best part, man. Like you, you just you decide what you want to do with your day. Like you can be like, it can it can be 2 a.m. and you know you're like, you know what? I'm feeling motivated. Let me go to the library and do work. Why not? Who cares that it's 2 a.m.? I'm going to the library to do work. And then you wake up mm. at 1 p.m., you realise, oh, I missed my 9 a.m. lecture. That's all right, man. I'll watch it online. That's like, cool. Then you that think, mm, yeah, and you're like, do I want to watch it online or do I want to go out today? I'm going to go out today. You know, I can watch it online on the weekend. There's always the weekend. There's no lectures on the weekend. Like, it was very free-flowing. Like, you can just, it's a good way as well to learn like, independence and maturity because when you live alone, there's no one to be telling you that, like, oh, do it this way, do it that way. Like you make a mistake and then you realize, okay, next time I'll do it this way. Yeah, because you get to a time where you decide for yourself, nah, I'm not sleeping at a good time. Let me stop sleeping at a good time. Let me wake up at a good time. Let me go to this lecture, do this, do that. And I think uni is the making of a man or woman, to be honest. Like, is where you learn a lot about people, you learn a lot about yourself and just grow up physically, spiritually, so many things really. So and the thing you said about the feedback from assignments is so true because of like, when we were in this uni, yeah, I'll be getting like 65% on average and I'll be like, how can I get to a first class grade? I can never figure it out. Then the moment I start my postgrad, now all my grades, I'm trying to brag in it, like all my grades are like 70%, yeah. 75%, yeah. this, this, that. So I was like, what's the difference between undergrad and postgrad? So I feel like you need to give like more specialized, better feedback to tell you how to get to the next level. So me and Karis are both doing our master at the moment. And for my last five exams, I've averaged 72%. So I don't see why they make it. So I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know if when you get to postgrad, they're less, they're even more, to be honest, it's not even that they're less strict because I'll be, I'm not, I'll be real. Postgrad is a lot more difficult in terms of content and your, your schedule and what you need yeah. to ingest within one year. So if anything, because it's a one-year scale, you'd think it'd be more lenient, but it's actually not. So I don't see why at undergrad level, they make you break your neck to get a first. 
I went I went straight to the walk to the workforce in it, but I'm gonna go to medicine like um, next year. But one thing I will say is to go to more advice like element of things is I believe that a lot of lecturers are pe- lecturers are people, and as much as they have to maintain this professionalism that they have to like take emotions out of it as people. If a lecturer has a distaste for you, I firmly, I will firmly say, I do believe they will, they will mark you down. I do believe that they will do that. Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? So I believe that the best thing to do is just, whoever, if there's any student who's about to go to Biomed or whatever, I believe that your best, the best advice I can give you, even in all aspects of life, is to put your head down and work your ass off and remain humble in everything you do. Realistically, that party can, that party can wait. That girl can wait. She probably won't be with you in a couple of years time anyway, bro. <laughs> can't trust can't, can't trust can't trust these girls man but anyway like in reality that's never here or there in reality yeah what i will say is one of the best things that have that ever happened to my academic um in, to my degree is um and Caris knows this assignment was this is the worst grade i've ever got and from that point on i was on my pivot i did not take my foot off the horse's neck is is that the quote? I don't I don't know. I don't want these uh, RSPCA to come from my neck. Is that the quote? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't even know what the quote is. I've heard but, it okay, basically, first time. I, I was on my A game in it, and I permanently believe that how you take a bad grade or a bad result will determine how you how your degree will end up. Most importantly, how your career will end up because teachers, if the teacher can break you, they've got what they want. If the teacher doesn't like you for whatever reason. And even if the teacher doesn't likely, I think you should also report that if it gets to a very serious point. But other than that, a bad grade isn't the end. It just take it as a kick up the backside to know you have to get on your A game, really. That's what I really have to say. Yeah, that's a really good bit of advice because I got 52% or something like that. I'm like, what the hell's happened here? Mm. But like, for me, it's so easy as people, as humans, we can shout about our good moments, but our bad moments is very also hard to talk about but we should also talk about them to be honest because not everyone's perfect and like it's about how you bounce back from it and to be honest if you want to work hard and be diligent you will bounce back always that's the main thing so i think one thing we're going to do soon in terms of this podcast it won't be just a podcast it'll be like an advice service for people that want to get into um biomed or medicine or any other science subjects especially our black people as well because we want to see more opportunities for them and just more hope for them like we have hope now because you know we're all doing our masters we all have jobs as well so we're all doing something for ourselves and you want to see more people do more so there's a lot that we have planned for the podcast really so any last comments before we close no i think you summed up perfectly so yeah just keep watching our episodes we'll have more that will be coming so follow the podcast on twitter at the btb pod you know, go to our Spotify links as well. Rate the pods, you know. Tell us what you think, whether it's on Twitter or anywhere else, you know. And like follow the pod anything. on follow the pod on Spotify as well and t- um, press the notifications on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's been all of us. It's been good. And we'll see you guys when we see you.